it's a very common reality for people these days and this word burnout's being used more uh, more frequently uh, and, and so there's some research from Deloitte that suggests that 77% of, of working professionals experience burnout in their current roles. So how I got to where I am now was I was one of the statistics. I experienced burnout. Um, I made a decision to actually take a break. You know, I, I, I had to really. I, I'd run out of options. Physical, emotional and mental burnout um, led me to decide, okay, I need to step back here. and. You know, I, I think one way I put it is I became more interested in how we were working rather than even the work I was doing. And that started on this me on this journey to kind of understand what's going on and how we might go about addressing the problem. This is the Peaks Audio Experience. All right, welcome back, folks, to The Peaks Life. You're with Lynn Fernie and Mike Warren. Special guest today, Scott Doughty. Scott is a corporate wellbeing consultant. Welcome, Scott. Thanks, Mike, Haley, and how are you doing? Good, mate. Very good indeed. Now, Scott, the information about yourself is in the, in the bio or in the episode, but let's take us back, for, let's take the listeners back and sort of a bit of a journey of how you got to be a corporate wellbeing consultant. Where did you come from? A bit of a snapshot of your history and what's the work you do at the moment and how do you help people? Yeah, sure. So my entire career has been in the technology industry. So I, uh, you know, I, I came out of high school around the time of, the internet really starting to take off. So my, my passion for technology kind of led me on this wonderful journey working all over the world for some of the world's leading technology companies. And that's where I spent most of my time. And, you know, like all of us, I had dreams and aspirations of, um, you know, rising to the top of my game. And I was very fortunate. I got to work in Europe and um, Australia, of course, and ultimately ended up in Asia where I took on a really, really uh, challenging business opportunity to roll out uh, you know, a, a division of a company across Asia, up into China, for example. And you know, after six years within this particular role uh, with this company, I ultimately burnt out. It's a very common reality for people these days, and this word burnout's being used more, uh, more frequently uh, and, and so there's some research from Deloitte that suggests that 77% of, of working professionals experience burnout in their current roles. So how I got to where I am now was I was one of the statistics. I experienced burnout. Um, I made a decision to actually take a break. You know, I, I, I had to really. I, I'd run out of options. Physical, emotional and mental burnout um, led me to decide, okay, I need to step back here and you know, I think one way I put it is I became more interested in how we were working rather than even the work I was doing. Yes. And that started on this, me on this journey to kind of understand what's going on and how we might go about addressing the problem. So just a quick question there, Scott. How did you, how did you first know or notice? What was the symptoms you had um, to burnout? What, what sort of made you aware that things weren't going well? I think that that's a really interesting question because... You know, one of the challenges with burnout is awareness or lack of. And, you know, it, it, it becomes a bit of a treadmill. So, you know, during my final year in my, in my job, I'd, I'd never made so much money. Um, and, you know, I was, I was in a very senior role. Like, things were going good. So the business, the health of the business was great. Um, for me, 
you know, my health started to break down. Mm. Um, so I had physical pain in my body and it, it, it's, that's not necessarily burnout, although it, it can be symptomatic health issues. What was going on for me was my desire to repress what was going on and just to get back on with getting on day after day. So yeah. to answer your question, uh, okay, so the simple answer to your question is uh, relationship challenges was a really big indicator that something was going on. You know, there was a lot of other things that were, I was being challenged, but I just took that as, you know, getting in the arena every day and doing what I did. But, you know, relationships started to break down. And, and that was a, a byproduct of just how I was showing up. You know, I was carrying that much um, stress and overwhelm and, and negativity that it was obviously having an impact on, on the people I lived and, and worked with. So that, that was probably the starting point to realize that maybe something's not, not good here. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so I just want to dive in because I think it's a really interesting statistic. Um, it's got that 77% um, of people in that executive um, or professional space suffering from some form of burnout. And fascinatingly, of all the people that we've had here um, on the Peaks Life, eight out of 10 have suffered either burnout or um, some kind of health crisis, um, you know, that has basically um, forced them to reevaluate their life, reevaluate their values. And most of them have stepped out of corporate life and into something else. Um, or they've stepped down, or they've moved country. But yeah, we, we've seen that eight out of 10. I think anybody who's tuning in, mm. that's a statistic to, to really pay attention to. If you look around you at the people that you're working with, if you're sitting in an office, um, you know, if, you, if you're working in a company, and you think about eight out of 10 of those people will suffer something um, that forces them to have that major you know, life evaluation. That's a huge statistic. It is. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a problem, um, obviously. And, uh, you know, I think when I first started, you know, when, when, I, when I left, it was very much, uh, you know, I isolated myself. I had some healing to do. I was going through divorce as well. So, you know, I, I call it, I, 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 I call it catastrophic burnout. It's something I just made up. But, like, I was hit, you know, in every, every big thing that can happen to somebody in their life you know, health issues, relationship, work, like I got it all at the same time. So it was, you know, it was a beauty. It was a really interesting time. And then I, you know, I, I focused on myself and had to heal myself first, but then realized uh, a lot of the onus is put on us as individuals to deal with the stress of work. Um, but actually, if we're really going to do something about this, we need to change the way we work and change the way we organize and and lead and, and yeah, the, the, the fabric of the organization, the company culture. So mm. that became my mission to really look at what can I do as an individual to, to positively impact company culture. And as you said, Scott, it's, it's very much a silent syndrome where eight out of 10 people may have a stress or a burnout or potentially go in that direction, but it's not something in the past that we've talked about openly. We've put our hand up and said, I need help. So I presume your role as a corporate wellness consultant, how does that feed into them? What, what's the work you currently do? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, the, the, the reality, you're right. Like it's a silent, there is an element of silent suffering. And the statistics, you know, they're from a very reputable organisation, Deloitte. They're backed up by 
um, some other mental health research from PwC Australia. And uh, the reality is a lot, of, a lot of companies don't find out that this is a problem until an exit interview. Or like me, you know, I ended up in hospital. Yeah. So with, with back injury, not, not mental health as such. But, you know, there's a lot happened along the way. And, you know, there's one diagram that I use in most of my presentations, which uh, is referred to as the human function curve. And I can actually, I could actually draw it. But, uh, yeah, this was unscripted. But basically, uh, you know, if we look at performance, we need stress. Yes. So the reason that, you know, I got into the job that I was in and, and that, you know, you guys have achieved what you've achieved in your life is, is because of stress. So we do need it. And we want to we cultivate this healthy tension, which is driving us to achieve these just manageable challenges um, that help us, you know, progress in life, get deals done, finish projects, uh, whatever. The problem is when we keep pushing it and we start to sort of hit this hump and we, we've all related to this, this sort of sense of overwhelm, for example. Uh, if we don't know how to act, like successfully come back from that sense of stress, it starts to build up in the body and ultimately we move into the realm of unhealthy stress yeah. where we start to experience overwhelm, anxiety, we might get um, illness and ultimately we lead to, to burnout. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of the work I'm doing is helping organisations understand first that this is a reality and that there are things that we can do. We can better organize ourselves so we, we can come out of these unhealthy, uh, you know, periods of stress. And it might be something we do during the day or it might be we look at the way that the organization runs. So sales organizations have very busy quarters or months, for example. So what do we need to build into our culture to come out of this period of stress before we just jump back in and do it all again the next day, week, month or quarter. Um, so I'm, I'm working to help, I guess, breathe some awareness and consciousness into, you know, the science that I just referred to and see how that can translate into an organisation. Um, the other point that I wanted to make was, you know, vulnerability, vulnerable conversations. Uh, this was not something that, you know, was, was, uh, there wasn't a lot of this happening when I left my last job, although it was starting to be spoken about, at least at the senior level. You know, th this is where the rubber hits the road, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, the reason that we don't know that people are suffering or we only find out when they leave is because they don't feel safe to have that conversation with their manager and let them know how they're going. Mm -hmm. So that has become probably one of the biggest part of my message you know, and I, I like to leverage my experience to try and reach the unreachable, the, the, you know, the most successful, busy, too busy to come to a wellness talk type people and encourage them to take the lead and become, you know, open and vulnerable with their team, you know, as a, as a way to grant permission to encourage that super powerful dynamic that comes when we have that psychological safety and trust um, mm. between employees and managers. I think, um, so I, again, really interesting. So the, we had a guest on the podcast last year called David Woodward. And David um, is a corporate executive. Um, he's in academia on, on a number of boards, very well respected, does, uh, you know, inter-country inter um, liaisons and that sort of thing. And he's, he used exactly the same words. He said, you know, he suffered 
um, throughout his corporate life and you know, ended up in ER four times. And one of the key things for him um, as, a, as a leader was to be able to step back and make himself vulnerable in order to have the, the conversation around his own health, his own mental health, how he was doing. And I think it's, there's a real stigma still in the workplace to that vulnerability. It's seen as soft. It's seen as, you know, something that's, that's just not, you know, not, not accessible for a lot of people. Um, and it's, and we're really in the, you know, the early phases of those vulnerable conversations and leaders accepting that they need to create that safe space for people to come to them and have that sort of conversation. It's true. Although I, you know, I, I I'm just seeing things change right in front of my eyes. And actually, that, that's an interesting point. When I started my journey, and I, I've left out 99% of, of what happened because, uh, you know, the, one of the first things I did was, you know, I learned to meditate myself. I also took a break from alcohol. And I bring this up because when I was looking at, you know, taking a break from alcohol, the world seemed very static. You know, the way things we did, the way we did things at work seemed very static. The way that I related to people, the way business was done, you know, the way management managed or led seemed very static. And, you know, one thing that became very clear to me in my first even days or weeks on my break from alcohol was that actually the world's very dynamic. And if you start becoming the change that you want to see, you know, I deeply desired to be in an environment where I didn't need to rely on alcohol to get things done, for example, um, people suddenly shifted and became curious. And I've got a lot of people that were once questioning why I was taking a break from alcohol that, you know, have changed their relationship with alcohol and gone on to now leading teams of up to 300 people. And, you know, they're excited to be vulnerable. It may feel uncomfortable, but they're excited at the potential of, what happens when they're more honest with, you know, with what, where they're at uh, and what well-being and conversations around, you know, physical, mental, emotional health can do to become a force multiplier for success at the company. So I think I agree with you. We're at the start, um, but it's not, it's not like forced. We have to do this. It's like, wow, this is exciting. The data out of that Google project said, suggests that, psychological safety was the one commonality between all successful teams at Google. So we know that, you know, being honest and trusting each other is going to help. Plus if we're healthy and fit and, you know, I guess working more openly and, and um, meaningfully, it's actually going to help the company be even more successful. So I think we're just, we took a bit of a wrong turn in the industrial revolution. It kind of lagged over into the whole where we're at now and we're just, consciously designing the future at the moment which, which is exciting because technology is changing you know the world is changing so it's, it's the right time for it there's all sorts of technologies that can help us and I guess that, that's sort of a lead into to the next question um, and that's around that word well-being so um, you know you describe yourself Scott as a, a well-being corporate well-being consultant tell us more about what well-being means and all the different aspects that you're working with people and companies on right now? That's an interesting question. You know, I think the whole idea of having a well-being program or being a well-being consultant, to be honest, I hope goes away in the next few years. I, I, I feel like 
we're just making up for, you know, it's, we, we're just sort of bringing humanity back to work, right, to put it simply. So, you know, I labelled myself as that primarily because I'm consulting with companies on how do we, you know, how do we help people be healthy, happy and, and, and perform over and sustain that over time? Because if people are burning out, they leave, you know, they have to go and take breaks or they, they step down. Um, and generally, it's, it's not really the preferred option. So, you know, what, what does well-being mean? I think it's to live fully in our default vital state. You know, it, it's not something that's a bonus or an extra or a luxury or a privilege. It's just to live as we, as we are born to live. So to have, you know, radiant well-being, is, to put it um, bluntly, it's kind of why I call my company Radiant, um, you know, it is our birthright. Now, how do we cultivate that? And, you know, I guess what is well-being in the sense of the work that I'm doing? Uh, there's five elements that I focus on. Uh, nutrition's key, and I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this podcast, you know, is well-versed with all the different variations in science on nutrition, but that's key. Um, obviously, movement, you know, we're all, you know, we're all doing our different uh, movement practices. Um, sleep is a key one. You know, without sufficient sleep, we just can't function. It's actually really dangerous. So that's a key part of my model. Um, connection, connection to self and others. You know, when we're talking about, like, how do we build trust around an organisation, obviously that's a key component of our well-being and we're social creatures. So without that social connection, it, it impacts our well-being. And the other one is mind. So... You know, obviously, I've got deep practice in mindfulness and meditation. And the mind, for me, is the gateway to everything else. Mm. By practicing some form of, of uh, you know, mindfulness practice, it builds our awareness on where we are with all the other elements. And then we can, you know, wisely choose how we want to optimize one or the other if we want to. So that's more or less my model. Mm. So, Scott, how do you deal with the, uh, the tough nut, the grisly old executive who doesn't like the word well-being, doesn't like the word wellness, they've had a successful career, they may look after a, you know, a reasonably sized company and they're, mm. they're, they're not even considering a well-being program or having a consultant come in and look after their team. They're of the old school, you go to work, you turn up, you work hard, you go home. Well-being mm. doesn't hit the agenda. How do you, what's the conversations you have to help them understand that well-being is a critical part of their personal success but also their company success? It's a good question. And if I'm really honest with you, I don't invest too much time trying to convince people if they are firmly of the mentality that, you know, this is how things are, this is how things need to remain. So I, I'm busy enough working with companies that um, are on board and see it as a competitive advantage, both from a performance perspective, but also from a recruitment and company culture perspective to invest in the well-being of their employees. Um, what I would do with that person, and I think where I have been successful, is less about me lecturing and more about me just being me. You know, I'm all about being the change and sharing, you know, year by year I share a bit more about what I've been up to and, and my journey. And, you know, the first time I wrote an article on LinkedIn about my first year off alcohol, it was read by 300,000 members of LinkedIn, of which around 15% were executive directors and CEOs which are a very hard audience to reach. 
So I know that there's quite a few of those grumpy, grizzly, you know, you're just here to work people that deep down are curious about, you know, what this could mean from them and also for their company. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, moving forward, so what, what if you then look in the, in the wellness space and you think there's, there's people who approach your company for help. Is there, a, is there a process that you go through when you're approached that takes them, you evaluate their current wellness or their current well-being and you take them through a journey? What's that, what's that approach that you use? Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, the, the preferred way of approaching things is not just to do sort of ad hoc Mm. Uh, you know, engagements, like having somebody come and do yoga once a week, it's, it's nice, but it's not going to shift the needle on a company culture. Yeah. Um, so for me, in terms of qualification, I'm very interested in the vision of the leadership. Because, mm. you know, that, that's going to be a, a crucial factor of success for that company. Um, although, interestingly, I don't believe that's the number one uh, contributor to success. There's a few components. So I'm interested in the leadership, the company vision, you know, what they're all about and where wellbeing might fit into the program. I'm interested in the middle management. The middle management, you know, our managers as such, have the biggest influence on an employee's experience at the company. So where I've seen things go not so great is that you've got a CEO with a great vision um, and this, this is particularly pronounced in, you know, multinationals with distributed offices. Great vision of the CEO, but there's no way that that's going to be practiced in this office in this country, for example. Yeah. So, you know, what I'm looking for is to work with organisations that, you know, have a vision. Um, that vision is shared by, you know, the leadership and they really want to make transformative change. Mm. Now, if I'm lucky enough to come across that, I, um, I am very interested in obviously getting data on where things are at, you know, how people are feeling, uh, you know, what's something tangible that we can then use to analyze and prioritize a program. Well, you're a busy executive. You run a company, you travel a lot. So you're, you're quintessentially one of the executives in the space that we both work with. What do you do personally to look after your own wellness, to remain grounded and manage both your business and your personal sort of side of your lives? Sure. Yeah, I, I've, I've tried everything and, you know, I, I, I must admit my approach is becoming more of keep it simple. So, you know, in, in terms of my daily practice at the moment, the one non-negotiable thing is, is definitely my, my meditation and my mindfulness practice. So I do 20 minutes at least every morning. Uh, quite often attached to that, I will add a gratitude practice. And that may be related to the things that I'm doing that day. If there's something big happening, like I may have a chance to speak to an audience, so I'll be grateful for that, that opportunity. Um, this, this is a really powerful practice that I, I, um, I've been doing a lot of research into because it's, you know, gratitude, uh, gratitude could be considered cute, right? But it, it helps us see the good in almost everything. So I'm eternally more optimistic and hopeful and vibrant if my brain is naturally looking for the good in everything. So I love that practice. Uh, I move every day, you know, so I meditate, I, I, you know, I enjoy caffeine. So I will have a coffee. I have a nice view. So I'll enjoy that and just sort of chill and be present there for a minute. And then I go out and run or go to the gym. And if I'm in, if I'm traveling, I'll still do something, even if it's just for a short period of time, 
you know, to reinforce that behavior, that, that habit and identity of somebody that moves every day, that meditates is really important. I also am part of my routine, just you know, keep it fairly simple, but I don't really eat meat anymore and, you know, less and less eating any dairy. So that's a part of my routine. And I'm working towards getting better sleep. Um, so just keeping track of that and, and making sure that I, I get enough sleep so I'll be fresh and vibrant the next day. So, Scott, on your, on your meditation practice, because meditation means different things to different people, mm-hmm. and I think it's still a, an area that a lot of people are kind of learning what works for them. You know, what, what have you found particularly that, that works for you? Sure. I was very lucky to stumble on a technique uh, almost four years ago. It was the same day that I, I took a break from alcohol. Um, it's a mantra-based technique. So what that means is I'm not necessarily listening to anyone guide me. I, I've learned a technique where I, I repeat something inside my mind. Uh, and I've, I've gone and done everything. I've done 10-day retreats. I've learned all those techniques. But this is the one that I continually go back to, and it's the one that I've certified to teach. And I've found that every single person that I've taught has been able to practice it, and most of them are, have been able to turn it into a habit where they can practice anywhere. You know, a lot of my clients have um, kids, and you know, the morning, whilst mine sounds really peaceful and and wonderful, you know, it's not the case for a lot of my clients. So I teach them a technique they can practice anywhere, anytime, in the car, on the plane, um, and that's that's my go-to. Hmm. Interesting. That's cool. So where, where to from now, Scott? What's the, uh, you're, I know we, you're currently on a, a fairly large project. Where's the, where's the company going? Where's your focus going? What does the future look like for you? Yeah, sure. So I am very interested in giving people uh, more experience of, of genuinely slowing down. So, you know, in this model here, we're, we're very good at spending a lot of time here. And, and the research says that quite a few of us you know, pushing it a bit far. So I want to teach people, you know, how to be strategic and build cycles of rest into their day, um, their day, week, and the whole year, to be honest. So um, I'm running workshops. I love coming and talking to companies around, you know, my experience, uh, my strategies for beating burnout. And I've got a whole set of, of strategies and, and what I call super skills, which I teach. One of them is mindfulness. One of them is gratitude, for example. Um, I, so I'm, I'm all up for running workshops. I am happy to consult with companies on how they can bring some of this into the fabric of their organization. And I also am running some retreats at the end of the year, which are a little bit different to the, the typical, you know, health retreat in that I'm very interested in, in genuinely giving people the experience of rest. And that may involve a little bit of silence as well. Uh, because a lot of retreats are very packed. You know, you're doing boot camp in the morning and you've got this and this workshop and this. It basically feels like work to me. I'm exhausted at the end of, end of it. So I, I'm, I'm keen to give people experiences of proper deep rest um, and, and training them with techniques like the meditation technique so they can go back and be equipped. And, and they don't have to wait till the next retreat. They, they come out of it you know, equipped with new skills and strategies to sustain their role um, at, their, at their company for a really long time. 
So I've got some dates coming out soon for late 2020, which will be on the website. Excellent. Well, we'll have, um, we'll have all the links to yeah. your company and all the any links you can provide us for the retreats. We'll pop them in there for the those tuning in. We can almost hear them making notes. You've, you've given us a wealth of strategies and insights. I think because you're in the specific area where a lot of executives need that type of help, I think a lot of people tuning in have got some great value from today. So yeah. first I want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing, firstly, your journey. And thank you for sharing some of your, your insights into how people can improve both their well-being and their wellness and some of the work you do. So I really do appreciate your time. Oh, thank you very much, Mike. Thanks, Lynn. You're welcome. Great Thanks, to have you here, Scott. Take care. See you soon. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us on the Peaks Audio Experience. Make sure you've subscribed and please share the podcast. And more importantly, don't forget to tell all your friends it's awesome, it's amazing and inspiring. And send us your hot topics to cover on a future episode. For now, have a great Peaks day. (laughs) 